0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Alzheimer's disease is perhaps the best known type of dementia, but there are other types of dementias, and today we will speak about one that's known as FTD. With me in the HealthLink on Air studio is Hannah Phillips. She's a neuroscience PhD candidate working under the supervision of Dr. Wei Dong Yao in the Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences Department at Upstate. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Hannah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So FTD, I know that stands for frontotemporal Lobe Dementia. What mm-hmm. can you tell me about this condition?
1: Okay, yeah, uh, so frontotemporal Temporal Dementia, what we call or refer to as FTD, uh, is the most common pre-senile form of dementia. So this means that it affects a younger population, um, and it accounts for 10 to 20% of all dementia cases. This means it's the second most common form of dementia after Alzheimer's disease, and one of the more prominent features that really sets it apart from Alzheimer's disease is that it strikes younger. So it can strike anywhere between the ages of 21 and 80, but the majority of the individuals are between the ages of 45 and 65. So um, FTD has a substantially greater impact on work, because as you can imagine, these individuals at the age of 45, are typically still working, um, and their families and a greater economic burden faced by the families compared to Alzheimer's disease. Um, And so the most reliable estimates suggest that about 50,000 to 60,000 people in the U.S. have FTD. However, FTD is often misdiagnosed as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, Um, or another psychiatric illness. So it takes up to three to four years to get a correct diagnosis and many expensive brain scans. Uh, And so many experts believe that this is perhaps an underestimate.
0: Well, let's talk about what are the symptoms? If it strikes people younger, are -hmm. you looking at symptoms of
1: forgetfulness and that sort of thing? No. So actually, uh, what's interesting, compared to Alzheimer's disease, memory is relatively spared. In individuals with FTD. Um, and so the disease was actually discovered by Arnold Pick. I just want to point that out, which was over a century ago. Um, he was the first to really document the neuropathologies and the symptoms of the disease. And uh, so there was a confusion around the disease for many, many years, um, as many people thought that it was Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or another psychiatric illness, as I mentioned. Um, and it really wasn't until the last decade that the uh, we really recognize this disease cluster because of genetic discoveries that link genetic mutations to the disease. And so now we started to recognize that FTD is really an umbrella term for this disease cluster um, that attacks the frontal and temporal lobes of the brain, and which is also referred to as frontotemporal lobar de- degeneration. And each of these disorders can be uh, identified according to the atrophy, specific atrophy, in the brain, as well as the symptoms that present first in our most prominence. So, whether it be in behavior, we have which would be behavioral variant FTD, or in um, one's ability to speak or understand language, which is called primary progressive aphasia. Uh, but I'm going to mostly talk about the behavioral variant because that's the the variant that we study in Dr. Yao's lab, and it's also the most common form of FTD uh, and is responsible for about 50% of all. Uh, dementia cases. You use the word atrophy. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that mean? Um, So this, it basically means areas of the brain that are degenerating or losing neurons. In FTD, it would be the frontal lobe and Mm -hmm. the temporal lobe. What, what
0: happens, what, what part of that, the brain, what happens in the frontal lobe? What does that control?
1: Yeah. So the frontal lobe, which is actually most um, affected by behavioral variant when we start to see, um, you know, degeneration and and these neurons become affected, the symptoms that, um, that that arise in the early stages are changes in personality or mood. Uh, the individuals become socially withdrawn, so they tend to have trouble communicating or relating to their friends and loved ones. Um, they'll show a lack of self-control. Uh, so this behavior, they may. Um, behave inappropriate in work or social settings which could cost them their job they uh, will show an increase in anxiety also repetitive compulsive behaviors like clapping or tapping or smacking their lips and as the disease progresses you'll start to see um, more significant behaviors such as uh, compulsive overeating as well as a lack of inhibition and empathy and um which it can often lead to dangerous and criminal behavior. And one study I read actually suggested that nearly 60% of um, all patients with FTD may commit a petty or minor crime. And um, the prognosis though is really of symptoms, varies by individual. And uh, so it can be anywhere, The, the, the progress of the disease can be anywhere from two to 20 years, but we know that after symptoms arise, it's typically between um, the, the average life expectancy is about seven to 13 years, uh, but unfortunately FTD does bring an inevitable decline to, to functioning, and um, unfortunately there is no cure or treatment for the disease um, to, to, to prevent or pl- slow down the progression of the disease. Why, why does it take so long to get a diagnosis? You said three or four years is typical yeah um, so as I mentioned, unfortunately, it, the disease is often misdiagnosed in the early stages, um, as you know Parkinson's disease or uh, or some sort of psychiatric illness based on the the symptoms that are presenting. And so it really wasn't until the past decade, as I mentioned, that you know, these genetic discoveries uh, linked mutations to the gene that uh, allowed us to really recognize, that this is a disease uh, with a specific subset of symptoms, and this um, and therefore this you know heightened awareness, and now we're starting to get diagnoses faster and more correctly. This is
0: Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Hannah Phillips. She's a neuroscience PhD candidate working under the supervision of Dr. Wei Dong Yao in the Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences Department at Upstate, and we're talking about frontal temporal lobe dementia. I wanted to ask you about the connection between FTD and ALS, um, or Lou Gehrig's disease. You have found a connection mm-hmm. between those diseases?
1: Yeah. Um, so as I've mentioned, uh, the disease often presents motor symptoms. And so well, ALS, just to introduce, is, is another uh, neurodegenerative disease that attacks the upper and, and lower motor neurons and hijacks the brain's ability to initiate and control muscle movement. And so, um, you know, over a century now, dating back to like Arnold Pick, when he first started uh, documenting patients, he noticed that patients presenting dementia-like symptoms often present motor symptoms. And so, um, but it wasn't really until the last decade that uh, an important genetic discovery found that there is actually a genetic link between the two diseases. And um, so they revealed that this mutation in a gene called the C9-ORF72 gene, uh, and that specific mutation um, is a G4C2 hexanucleotide repeat expansion, uh, but this, this mutation can cause both FTD, ALS, and FTD with ALS. Uh, and so it wasn't until, you know, this discovery, which really transformed this long, um, held belief that ALS is purely a movement disorder and FTD is purely a cognitive or behavioral form of dementia. And so in fact, now we know that nearly half of all patients who are diagnosed with ALS will present some um, behavioral or cognitive decline that is similar to FTD and vice versa. Patients diagnosed, about 30% of patients diagnosed with FTD will present uh, motor symptoms uh, consistent with ALS. And so, so we can, you know, we can say that FTD and ALS are um, over share common overlap clinically, uh, genetically and pathologically. And uh, we've since found that the C9 orF72 mutation is actually the most common uh, hereditary or familial cause of FTD, ALS and FTD with ALS. Yeah, well, tell
0: me how you got started studying frontal temporal lobe dementia.
1: Yeah, um, so, um, basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back just a little bit and talk about um, you know what is unknown about FTD, which is what kind of clued us into where we you know where our research went. Um, so the disease causing mechanisms uh, for at all levels, from cellular to synaptic to neural circuits, uh, are largely unknown, and there is no cure for the disease. So And this is mostly because uh, we didn't really have a strong grasp on the genetics of the disease until really the last decade. And so now we know that nearly 40% of individuals with FTD have a family history. So that would include at least one family member that's been diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease. And so we call this familial or hereditary disease. And we've also found, researchers have revealed that there are three genes that uh, account for the majority of these familial FTD cases, uh, and that is the C9ORF72 gene, a progranulin gene, and another gene uh, called the microtubule-associated tau protein. And as I mentioned, the C9ORF72 gene is the most common uh, familial cause or hereditary cause of FTD and ALS. So um, each of these disease-associated genes have been a huge interest in the past decade to try to understand what causes FTD. And in our lab, we're focused on the most common of the three, which is the C9ORF72 gene. And so, um, you know, following the genetic discoveries, this allowed researchers to develop models to study the disease, uh, namely mouse models uh, that have been essential to trying to understand the disease-causing mechanisms. And we have adopted a particularly unique mouse model from our collaborators that harbor these C9ORF72-associated mutations, and they not only recapitulate the neuropathologies of the disease and show neuronal loss or neurodegeneration, but what makes them unique from other mouse models that have been created is that they actually mimic the clinical symptoms of C9, A L S. So they've been really exciting to work with. Um, and our collaborators have shown that at six months old, they show an increase in activity, anxiety, uh, a decrease in sociability, and as well as uh, significant impairments in motor coordination.
0: So you're exploring, we still really don't know what causes. Exactly, yeah. So
1: that's where it starts is trying to understand these disease-causing mechanisms. And so, um, you know, first comes, you know, the genetics and then these models that are very useful to try to understand the the mechanisms. And so, as I mentioned, we're using a very interesting, unique model. Um, And now to go into a little bit of what I've found, uh, using this model, I found that uh, as the animals age, so at about 10 to 14 months old, which is equivalent to um, 45 to 50 years old in, in a human, the mice develop severe behavioral deficits similar to mid to late stage disease. Uh, and so this includes uh, compulsive overeating, increased risk-taking behaviors. Uh, they show severe behavioral de- or social deficits. Uh, and a loss of empathy-like behavior. And so what we wanted to do next was really try to understand the neurophysiological basis underlying the loss of these behaviors associated with the disease, or in other words, how the disease affects neurons or brain circuits that are essential for driving the behaviors like sociability or empathy that are lost in the disease or in patients with FTD. And so um, we are uh, honing in on a specific subset of neurons in what's called the prefrontal cortex, which is a part of the frontal lobe that's affected. Um, and these, um, we we know from previous literature and studies that this area of the brain is important for behaviors like sociability and empathy that are lost in patients with FTD. And so. Um, we also know from neuroimaging studies that this there's a specific atrophy in this region of the brain. And um, so what we do is we use a technique called electrophysiology, and this allows us to take an electrode or a very, very, very fine probe, and we poke it into individual diseased neurons, and we can listen, so to speak, to their electrical activity. And normally, um, in an intact functioning brain, This subset of neurons in the prefrontal cortex will fire some electrical activity when the animal is engaging in a behavior like social interaction. And so we call this firing action potentials or spikes. And um, each cell generates its own spiking activity and this message to engage in a social interaction is encoded in these spikes of this network of neurons. And so what was most exciting that we found in these disease neurons is that they, um, there's actually a striking reduction in the number of spikes that they fire. And so this led us to hypothesize that this profound hypo excitability um, actually weakens the top-down control or um, contributes to the overall loss of control of FTD-associated behaviors like you know, loss of social interaction, loss of empathy that we see in these patients. So what we wanted to do next was to try to manipulate the excitability and try to rescue these loss of behaviors in this model. And we, we employed a technique called chemogenetics, uh, which is where we use a chemically engineered receptor that's exclusively activated by a pharmacological agent known as clozapine and oxide or CNO. And we deliver this um, systemically or via microinfusion pump directly to the brain. And basically what it does is it allows us to increase or decrease electrical activity uh, in a target or targeted neurons, in this case the prefrontal cortex, and manipulate behaviors. Or in our case, we wanted to rescue or restore behaviors. And so this was really exciting because uh, what we found is that by increasing the electrical activity, in this region of the brain that we found was hypoactive, we are actually able to rescue social um, interaction in these mice at, at a late stage of disease. And so this is significant because, as I mentioned, there's no cure for the disease. And um, so this is a, these results are important because they shed light on a potentially novel therapeutic um, approach or intervention to... Prevent or slow down the progression of the disease. Well, this is encouraging work. I want yeah, to, I want
0: to thank uh, Hannah Phillips, a doctoral student at Upstate. Of course, I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, Health Link on Air.